Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. Apologies for lack of an episode last week as I'm in full-blown end-of-the-year coverage mode in which I attempt to consume every single piece of horror media I managed to miss during the course of the year. But fret not, for I am clearly back to discuss what I would consider a slept-on horror film of the year. I describe it as such because it's not only quite good but another example of a major streaming platform improperly marketing a film. Looking at you, Paramount. But before taking a billion-dollar company to task, my guests and I will discuss Robert Olson and Dan Burke's 2022 horror film, Significant Other, in which the young couple Ruth, played by Micah Monroe, and Harry, played by Jake Lacey's romantic woodland retreat is interrupted by a malevolent entity that will put their relationship to the ultimate test. And joining me once again is returning friend of the show, Natasha Alva. Natasha is not only a Cultured Vulture's film editor, but also a Rotten Tomatoes approved critic. So without further ado, Natasha, welcome back to the show. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. It's like the third time, I think, this year. Yeah, I've enjoyed every time having you on. And it's great because you get to not only, I think you told me about this movie early on when it came out. Um, and it was the type of thing, again, like I kind of said in the intro, this is a movie that kind of was just regurgitated onto their streaming platform and there was almost no marketing, little fanfare around it. You know, I would see some positive reviews here and there like yours, your review for Cultured Vultures, um, which I believe you gave an eight out of 10 for it. So that immediately caught my eye. But also, you know, you were so enthusiastic about chatting about this movie. Um, And I think that that's always a great sign, right? Is that just because some streaming services drop the ball when it comes to, you know, properly marketing their films, especially ones that end up being, you know, a standout from sort of the content mill strategy that a lot of these streaming services have. Um, it's always great to have critics, whether or not I'm, you know, friends with them, like we're friends, um, <laughs> having them reach out or just openly share, you know, their thoughts on a film like this that otherwise we might not have, uh, you know, known about. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is about Paramount this year, but uh, they also kind of dropped the ball on Honor Society. So there was this, it was this really great like coming of age um, movie, right? So if you compare it to like Do Revenge uh, that Netflix released, you know, and Do Revenge got like a lot of like publicity, you know, everyone was talking about it, right? And I felt that Honor Society was really on par. It was really good as well, but no one heard about it. Like, um, yeah, and I was like, you know, um, I kind of just randomly watched it with my family, and I was like, oh, this is, this is quite a good movie, you know, and I was surprised, right? So I think for significant other, I got a screener to watch it. So if I did, if I did not, I would not have heard of it. Yeah, I would not have watched it at all, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, I mean, I don't know, like Paramount actually has been releasing some like good stuff right like I think um, a few years ago there was Spontaneous which is um, like a YA kind of horror um, movie so and um, yeah so I think they have really some decent stuff but I don't know no one's like hearing about it for some reason so that's strange yeah you know I think it's kind of just a result of the nature of unfortunately how they 
streaming services in general now market, but also make and produce content, right? It's that it's all analytics and numbers and kind of trying to take in all of these factors that average consumers don't think about because we just want something that's entertaining, right? But from a standpoint of like these corporations, unfortunately, what they decide to invest in or, you know, create and produce is largely just based on spreadsheets. And so when you have a film like The Significant Other, which, you know, if you think about genre offerings, having somebody like uh, Micah Monroe involved, who, you know, at this point, this is her third or fourth horror film and notable one at that. Um, I think that it's the type of film that they can release and be like, well, this is going to do a certain amount of numbers. And this is kind of the ceiling on the size production of this type of movie. And so they kind of just are like, well, we're not going to waste money marketing it because it's a small ceiling for us to either find this to be profitable or to even be in their best interest to release the movie. Um, And I think that's maybe the unfortunate side of the streaming age, right? Is that you have these films that are definitely standouts in their genre. And yet, because of certain factors that we, the audience and consumers don't know about or don't even think about, it's the type of thing where you might not learn about it until a studio, in your case, quite literally reaching out to you with the screener or, you know, somebody like me that has a friend that has reviewed it or has been talking about it. It's like, hey, have you heard of this? Yeah. More often than not, that answer is no, unfortunately, (laughs) uh, with films of this size, but that shouldn't be a uh, you know a detractor from people checking this one out. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this when we were talking about Fresh as well, right? Because, you know, uh, I think when it came out in Sundance, like everyone was talking about it, but after Sundance, then, you know, it was um, basically, you know, uh, Hulu kind of snatched it up, right? And it was going to streaming, right? And I think besides, I guess, film Twitter, like, you know, who else actually knows about this movie? You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like um, it's the, like I don't know. Both these movies are like movies that I would watch again, and I think movies that I might spend money to watch in a theater. Like I wouldn't mind, oh, yeah, going sure. and doing that. So it's quite sad, but I mean, I guess inevitable, right? In this age where there's so much content, and they have to kind of um choose what they want to market and what you know they feel would be, yeah, I guess uh, catch people's interest, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's also got one of the most generic looking yeah. posters on <laughs> Paramount Plus's page, uh, considering that, and I'll link it below the episode when this goes live. But, you know, it took me like 30 seconds to find an alternate poster that some graphic artist made uh, that is leaps and bounds better than this generic <laughs> poster of just like two people standing against a woodland backdrop. And it's like, okay. This is any other number of horror movies that I've seen. And this kind of leads me into my first question for you about Significant Other. Um, Granted, the setup of this movie seems very, very familiar. Anybody that kind of like reads the synopsis, looks at the poster, has probably seen a movie quite similar in its setup, Mm -hmm. right? And we'll get into the ways in which Significant Other makes itself an outlier. Um, But for you, like generally speaking, what is it about Significant Other that makes it a genre standout this year? Um, I think the way, I think the atmosphere, definitely, I think, um, the way it brings us into the film, like, I mean, I don't like camping or hiking, but, uh, I think that, you know, like when we were following the characters, I can, I, I'm not like 
um, distant from their experience. I feel like I'm with them in the space. Uh, and I think the transitions in time are really well handled. Like, uh, I, I mean, the experience of hiking in in nature, hiking in the woods, I think is really very well captured, right? Because I think when you're hiking, you don't, you just kind of lose sense of time, right? And I think the film really kind of brings that across, right? So the atmosphere, I think, uh, and the sound and everything was really good. Um, I think tension as well. So they they use foreshadowing um, in a way to kind of build that tension, right? So you see certain things and you're like, oh, okay, you know, what does this mean, right? So it's like Chekhov's gun, right? You know, I show you something and I'm going to show you how this thing will, you know, have meaning later on, right? And you are watching to kind of um, figure out what exactly, I guess, is the whole situation, right? Um, you know, in, in the movie. Uh, but I think, I think, I mean, this is spoilery, but so I won't, I won't go into it yet. <laughs> but I think the most horrifying part of it um, is what happens later on. So the like the revelations later on. Um, and I think what uh, Ruth is struggling with. So her own um, personal demons, her own, um, you know, brokenness. So I feel like that's what the movie is kind of tapping on. The idea of um, human frailty, human brokenness, you know, um, things that we kind of struggle with and then we kind of think about how uh, they kind of uh, impede us, prevent us from kind of making certain decisions, uh, from moving forward, right, um, or building connections, you know, and I think uh, that it's very much her movie, you know, um, uh, from her point of view for the most part, right, and um, so I think for me, I think that's where it, it felt very, um, like, uh, Annihilation, um, Alex Garland's Annihilation. So I felt like it, that, that kind of sci-fi horror where I think the, the real enemy, I guess, is yourself. <laughs> like that, that's what you're kind of, kind of grappling against. So I thought that that's what made it a good uh, genre film. Yeah. Yeah. Before uh, I touch upon atmosphere, camping absolutely sucks. <laughs> I don't know how much camping you've ever done. The older I get, you know, I used to go with as a kid, like with family and stuff, which was fun because, you know, you're a kid, you're in the woods, you get to, you know, play with, make a fire, you get to set up the tent, you get to run around this and that. As an adult, camping and hiking are probably two of my least favorite activities <laughs> that annoy me whenever anybody suggests that we do those. Oh my God. Sorry, I just had to get that uh, off you... my chest because there's nothing worse than not only being in this bug infested place, but also the fact that like, it's just the most uncomfortable scenario. Nobody like has a good night's sleep when you go camping. You end up waking up like all bruised from <laughs> rocks and stuff like that. Or just like you got four hours of sleep because something was rustling around the tent in the middle yeah. of the night. Sorry. I just I had to go can on you, a, a mini tirade because I can't can stand it. Can you make a fire? <laughs> I can. That's one, wow. of the thing, one of the benefits of uh, being submitted to uh, camping a lot as a child, which I enjoyed as a kid. But as an adult, I was like... Do we really need to go out camping? We could, and you know, just thinking when people suggest it as an adult, it's like <laughs> we could just stay here and drink. There's no reason to go traipsing through the woods to drink. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. I think as an adult, I mean, for maybe you should move to Singapore because no one, because we don't have enough forests for us to go camping like that. So like, uh, we do like glamping. <laughs> and if we want to camp, we have to go like outside of Singapore. 
So like all the camps that I've experienced are like on like offshore islands or like in Malaysia, which is like our neighbor neighboring country. So like those, <laughs> that's the kind of way we can experience like the wilderness because like we are cities so there's like it, there's just no forest and anything right i mean you can't you can't go like we don't have any woods or anything like that you know so we got parks and beaches and stuff like that but yeah so i've never had to experience it as an adult because no one can suggest that because like you'd be like where <laughs> go camping where like you know in the mall or something yeah so um Right. So I've never had to experience that as an adult, but I think if my husband ever suggested, like, let's go on this like hiking, <laughs> hiking trip, <laughs> just you and me, I would be like, no, <laughs> uh, marriage over. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, I live in New England, so we are you know inundated with wilderness. And so I, it's like weekly requests to go hang out in the woods and do stuff, which I'm always bewildered by. Uh, oh <laughs> which makes me feel more like a transplant to New England despite living here my entire life. But some getting back to something that you had mentioned that uh I really resonated with was the idea of them crafting this atmosphere that almost feels sort of alien like, right? The fact that they're capturing the wilderness, which again, that's a fairly generic setting for a genre film. And yet the ways in which, you know, whether it's the cinematography from Matt Mitchell or the music by Oliver Coates. Um, it is the type of thing that I found just the way in which they capture the woods um, gives it this like alien sort of ethereal beauty of it in that it feels like, oh, okay, what time of the day is yeah. it? What time is it even to begin with? Um, and of course, you know, it is amplified by the fact that you get these scenes where clearly something is following the couple as they, you know, progress into the woods. But I think just the amount of time that's spent not only capturing the woods and making it seem like this foreign place, which for you know Ruth it is. She's somebody that is clearly not as invested in backpacking or camping as uh, Harry is. <laughs> but at the same time, like the way in which they capture it and portray it, and you know having the camera rotating or you know the way that the camera kind of like gyrates throughout and just capturing the sense of like the unknown within the setting that's very familiar. And, you know, you mentioned Alex Garland's Annihilation, which will come up certainly when we talk about the film's ending, but it's the same type of quality, right? Without having the shimmering walls everywhere, just the woods and the way that it's captured, it feels very foreign, which makes it exciting, but also unsettling and, uh, and, you know, uh, (laughs) a perfect home for something (laughs) to be uh, haunting or hunting. Yeah, I think sometimes, uh, you know, humans, we get so caught up, I think, in our own hubris, in our own um, vanities and pride or whatever, that we kind of forget that um, we are not the lord of everything. I think sometimes nature and the wilderness, it's still this really like formidable thing that we do not have control over and we have no power over nature. You know, I, I mean, I don't know, like uh, maybe you feel it when you go camping, but, um, you know, I think when I went to Scotland and, you know, it's just, it just, the wilderness right like everywhere you look right it's just like nature and mount and mountains and you know and you just kind of feel the power of nature and like what you say is you feel that you're so separate from it you know it's so foreign um and scary you know um and i think sometimes we we 
yeah we forget you know like um yeah we we think like oh it's you know it'll be fun you know <laughs> and then oh, it's like something happens right so yeah i think i mean i think the film really really captured that well that's the thing right i think that within moments of stepping into the woods you're kind of instantly reminded like oh okay like you think that you have like a good handling on yourself on how to react to situations but then there's the part, the isolating part of, you know, being out in the wilderness with just one other person is that, well, if something happens to one person, do I know how to get out of here? Do I know how to get help? Like, of course, <laughs> in the film, uh, they try to use their phones. And what's the first thing? Oh, there's no cell service yeah. here, that type of thing. And it's like, that is a very sobering wake up call as soon as you go somewhere where there's no cell phone service, because, you know, we're all glued to our phones and whatnot. And uh, help is only ever, you know, your pocket or back pocket away uh, from your phone. And it's the type of thing that it's like, okay, now every single thing I do, I have to put extra thought into just because of the potential ramifications of, well, if I screw up out here, is help going to come? How long will it take? Or will it even show up? Um, And I think that that's something that makes it a setting that, you know, is inherent for horror, right? Because it's this idea that, okay, you're going to bring your own baggage into this setting and yet you're going to potentially encounter these very sort of mundane things early on and yet out there in that isolation, they are this very heightened thing that has much higher stakes than anybody is used to. Yeah, and I think um, that kind of isolation also kind of puts stress on, I think, the, I guess, the relationship or the people that you're kind of camping with as well because, uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, camping is not an easy thing or hiking is not an easy thing, right? So, uh, and I think when you're alone with someone for like days, you know, on length, right? Uh, it can, it's difficult, I think, especially if you do have a fight or you do have some conflict and then you have to kind of spend the entire day <laughs> with this person, you know? So, uh, and the film kind of utilizes that really well at, um yeah, about I think twenty minutes in, right? And we do see that kind of come out, come across, right? When, uh, you know, what happens when you introduce a point of conflict, right? What will happen now to this pair, right? To this um, relationship, and how will this impact uh, our journey with them as well? It's just so uncomfortable, um, you know, when you're there with them and you're like, oh god, like, you know, I mean, like the the idea here is that okay, if I have a fight now with my husband, right? I can avoid him, right? <laughs> like, I don't have to, like, you know, like, be there, right? And have to, like, deal with the fact that um, we are having a fight, right? And I think that that difficulty in, like, avoiding it, I think kind of adds to the tension as well. So I think making it, a, like, a two-piece, a two, um, two-person kind of um, film for the most part was really interesting. Yeah, and that allows these two characters to be explored in a way that, I don't necessarily think it's breaking any new ground, but at the same time, there's a good chunk of that first half of the film that's dedicated just to capturing, you know, them in their relationship. And it captures it very genuinely, I find, right? We get these few examples of just them interacting that just feel like you're a fly on, you know, in this case, a tree, uh, watching them and just seeing the place in which their relationship is at. Even early on, you know, they don't have that many interactions. You can see there's like a hesitancy or there's something weighing on Ruth's mind that doesn't come up for a good chunk of the film. But then once you get to that point where, you know, she has this reveal of like, oh, well, her family split up and that took a much greater toll on her than she's willing to admit. 
But once you get to that point in the film, it's like, oh, well, of course, that's something she was dealing with because her personality and her behavior has been, while not overtly apparent of that specific, uh, you know, life trauma, if you will. It is still indicative, though, of somebody that is dealing with a great deal of baggage that they've never properly, uh, you know, tackled. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit before we get into sort of the the narrative twist of this movie um, and just their performances and what about them really stood out to you. Um, Michael Monroe is so good. Like, uh, yeah. there is such a subtlety to her performance, you know, but uh, it's like what you say, right? Uh, from the beginning alone, you can kind of see that weight within her, that baggage, right? That she's kind of holding on to something and she's kind of grappling with something, but we don't know what it is until we get uh, later in the film. And he is such a contrast to her, right? Because, you know, he is uh, light while she is heavy, right? So you can kind of feel uh, that jovialness, right? That lightheartedness that he has. And you can kind of understand why both these individuals would be drawn to each other, right? They are like opposites, essentially, right? Uh, and I think, you know, um, I think for him, he feels that his um, his lightness would be able to kind of help her out of her demons and help her kind of deal with her demons. And yeah, I don't know, like what you said, um, the, I was really, I mean, I've, I've seen her in The Watcher and, you know, I was impressed with her there. Uh, Jake Lacey, I think I've seen him in a couple of things, but I can't remember. He has that face where I know I've yeah. seen him in something, but I can't remember what it was. But he was, he really kind of impressed me um, here as well, you know, um, perfect, I think male lead, right? So they, they worked really well together and you can kind of see that effort effortless uh, relationship, you know, and it, it felt real. It felt like an authentic relationship. Um, how, you know, um, they handled the twist, I thought was interesting. So like how their performance shifted according to the twist, uh, I think kind of really showed their, their range and their talent because it's difficult, I think, to, <laughs> to, play, to play things on you know, in a way that people will not uh, figure it out. Because when you, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I think when you first kind of watch it through the first time, you know, the way the way each of them perform their parts, you kind of, it, it makes you think uh, a certain way. And then later on, when you find out, you're like, oh, okay. And then when you watch it back, it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's like enough to mislead you. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely. And I got to say, for Jake Lacey, somebody that I was not familiar with, um, I spent the first 20 minutes of the movie thinking it was Cameron Monaghan from um, uh, Shameless. Oh. He also plays Joker in Gotham. Oh. I mean, their ages might be a little off, but I was like, they have to be <laughs> brothers or something because I thought that they looked way too similar. But yeah, no, I think uh, your comments on like both of their performances really playing off of yeah. one another in a way that felt, again, just very genuine. It felt like two people that we we're being introduced to in a short period of time. And yet it felt like an actual relationship in that sometimes in these types of movies, they just have two people that are like exactly the same. And it's like, that's the justification for why they're together. But in this case, right, it's more natural that you have two characters that, you know, share interests, I'm sure. But at the same time, they're not just carbon copies of one another, right? And I think that it makes them viewed as more complex because it's like, okay, two people that have been together for a while that love each other. And yet there are still these kind of like 
potential rough edges or still things within them that keep them off kilter from one another to a certain degree, which I think, again, makes them just be representative of a real relationship, right? I mean, if everybody's relationship was, I'm just with this person because they're exactly like me, they like everything I've ever done, this and that, it's like, well, I don't know how commonplace that is, (laughs) at least in my experience. But it is the type of thing that, you know, you have people that come together and even if there are some elements of their personality that don't exactly line up, in this case being, you know, the camping and hiking aspect, which Ruth is not nearly as enthusiastic about yeah. as Harry. At the same time, though, they have the this relationship that despite some differences, despite some baggage, they still have come together in a way that, you know, they have been a couple now for a number of years. And uh, you can really feel that history without being explicitly told oh, this is our seventh anniversary dating or something like some generic kind of milestone. Yeah. Um, you can feel that history rather than be told yeah. it. I think, okay, <laughs> this is quite the side note, but I think this is where the sometimes uh, some of those like uh, Hallmark movies <laughs> or, um, you know, those um, movies that they kind of churn out and, uh, you know, it's, it's mass produced. I mean, it's like one of those studio green screen kind of films. Uh, and I think it... Made it yeah, in six weeks. Yeah, those kind of films, right? The It always comes back to the the way exposition is kind of infused into the script, right? So I think what Significant Other does really well is that it, like what you said, it gives us the weight and the history of the characters without like them having to say, you know, oh, it's been, you know, how can you say this to me? It's been this number of years, right? Or, you know, remember when we met? <laughs> or, you know, they, they don't <laughs> right. deliver, um, they don't, it's not explicit, but you can feel it in the way he, you know, kind of teases her um, when he plays the music too loud in the car, you know, or mm. um, <laughs> when he, <laughs> when um, this, the, the weird little boy comes and makes a strange comment and he's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> her, you know, it's like things that I could imagine myself <laughs> kind of saying to my husband, yeah. right? You know, just like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, right? right? Yeah. And it's just these little moments that um, give you a sense of like how, comfortable they are with each other right and um you know but at the same time like you say because of the things that you know she's dealing with mainly uh there is this uneasiness i think in their relationship you know um because i think for him he can't understand why she can't you know get over um certain things because it's it's not it's easier for him Right, he he doesn't right. he's not facing the same uh, issues and problems, right? And I think it's a very normal couple struggle, right? I think sometimes it's difficult to see things from the other person's point of view, right? So I thought that the conflict that they brought into the relationship was also very normal and uh, very natural, right? And it made sense, right? That you know, um, this would be something that they would fight about, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think on a rewatch too, which you know, not only uh, strengthens the horror twist, which we'll get to in a minute, but I think their relationship in general, right, on this rewatch, it was very much more apparent that I was able to pick up on the differences in their, you know, the contrast between where they are both at in the course of this relationship and the way in which they carry it in a way that feels true to their characters, right? Because initially you're watching this and you're kind of just like, okay, I'm just kind of along for this ride and I'll see where this kind of plays out. But in hyper-focusing more on certain character traits and details, it does make that proposal scene, which the audience will learn, is the entire basis for this hiking camping trip. And, you know, he proposes to her on this, you know, I 
idyllic uh, cliffside <laughs> look overlooking the yeah. ocean. And, you know, she says no, basically. And she has a panic attack as a result. And you see the contrast in where they are. You know, if you just hyper focus on her performance and reaction to that, it's almost as if she's suffering some great trauma in the moment. And then if you look to his performance, it is another type of trauma, right? And that, you know, you can clearly see how heartbroken he is and just, you know, how all of the basically air has been deflated yeah. from him uh, and just kind of like grappling with this. And, uh, you know, it makes for a contrast that is affecting in both parties, right? And you don't have to have necessarily this massive blow up or something like that, right? Some kind of cliched argument right then and there. It is this type of thing where you see these two visceral reactions to what's happened and then you get to have this quieter moment where they kind of are trying to pick up the pieces of what was supposed to be a happy weekend and now is making for the most awkward weekend yeah, they've ever yeah. had, probably. Yeah, I mean, the, like, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? Which is that, you know, you're isolated, right? You just have this person to depend on. And then now when there's this big elephant in the room, right? You know, how, you know, I and I mean, for him, I think he's, he foresaw it going very differently. You know, um, yeah. he did not... <laughs> I mean, I, I think he should have like had more um planning <laughs> in the way he did this, but uh he didn't he never thought for any moment I think that she would say no, you know, like it never crossed his mind, right? And uh to see that uh that weight um you know um kind of transfer over, right? Because he's so he's so happy, right? He's such a like lighthearted, um, easygoing kind of guy, right? And to kind of see that that um you know that same heaviness that she was carrying kind of you know douse him as well was really interesting yeah so i think uh and you can feel the awkwardness as someone watching you're like oh okay <laughs> so what's gonna happen now right you know <laughs> so um yeah i think i think what makes a movie i mean i think you know besides the fact that it's a it's a good genre film i think the fact it's just a very well-made film because it cares about its characters and it, the characters have arcs they have um flaws right um they have um you know past baggage and demons and you know things that they have to grapple with right and they feel real right so i think you know and it allows us to kind of empathize with them or to relate to them you know and to kind of feel for them right in where they end up in this movie yeah yeah it rectifies a big issue with a lot of you know genre movies that i'm sure have had a very similar setup right is that it pays adequate respect and, you know, building up of its characters. So that way, when we get to this shift, we are not only more invested, but, you know, you actually <laughs> you actually care about uh, what's happening to these characters. But more so, it's important to really, you know, make those characters be these figures that are the foundation of the film, because it is such a small sandbox that I think the directors are playing with, right? The scope and the yeah. scale. Um, it is very, very small. Granted, you've got this wide open wilderness setting, but at the same time, the film never really steps out of bounds of like what its budget allows for, which speaks to, you know, the very small cast size. There are, of course, you know, kills and effects and things like that, but they are not on the more grandiose scale that perhaps some people would imagine they would be. But at the same time, the directors are very cognizant of those limitations, I think. And that's why it comes through so well. And now that you get into the sort of twist of the movie and the buildup of that, it has a payoff that it doesn't need to be overly reliant on, you know, some of the trappings that I think people go into a lot of, you know, genre films expecting. And yet this movie delivers a quality, not quantity of things that I think makes it that much stronger. Yeah. Um, but I really like that, you know, they introduce this 
wrinkle to after the failed proposal, right? Throughout the film, something has been hunting them in the woods, stalking them. They're not quite sure what it is. We haven't gotten the closest of uh, you know detailed looks at it yet, but something is out there. And so you have this moment where Ruth goes into the cave and sees something that terrifies her. And it has that really fantastic cut of her screaming at something. And then it cuts to like a crow calling. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was like one of those little moments that was like a really, really great transition. Um, and then when Ruth comes out of the cave, she's just very strange and weird, right? And, you know, Harry's kind of just like inquiring, like, what's going on? And she's kind of like shell-shocked a yeah. little bit. So in my mind, well, actually, before I share what I thought, what did you think in that moment when she comes out of the cave <laughs> and she's acting in this strange fashion? I thought she was possessed. <laughs> yep, yep, okay. I, I'm glad we're on yeah, the same page. Like because she was, she was touching the, the goo, right? Like she was like poking through mm-hmm. the goo and we kind of know that um i think early on in the film uh there is this a uh, creature that attacks a deer so we know that there is some kind of like thing in the woods right but we don't know the nature of the the creature but she was behaving so like weirdly and um i don't know how to describe like how Micah Monroe does it but she she becomes almost alien in the way she moves and the way she stares at him it felt so bizarre and i was just like she's possessed <laughs> like <laughs> and it and and because of the way they frame certain shots right like you know um later on when they're walking again right um she's always behind him you know and then he will turn to her and she'll give this weird smile you know and you're like oh my god it feels like a predator stalking its prey right you know so i was like my god when is this <laughs> you know this woman's going to eat him or something it's like species you know <laughs> like something's going to happen so that's what i thought um you know and i was just like and it was so um tension filled because i was like when is she going to attack him you know like what's her play you know because um she yeah, like so I think I mean I think it was deliberate, right, on the movie's part. Yeah. Yeah, you know, she has this almost disassociating quality yeah. to her character in that moment where it's kind of like she's in a delay almost to reacting to things and almost like she's putting far more thought into the most simplistic of movements and actions. Um that's really unsettling and really strange and she did something so somewhat similar in Watcher, yeah. right? I think that she did a good job of kind of just like portraying this stranger in a strange land and she reacts like somebody that's constantly lost because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, she is lost in that massive city where she's, again, by herself essentially other than her boyfriend or fiance mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but she does have that quality where she's able to sort of remove herself from a situation that then portrays somebody that <laughs> clearly is going through some type of great ordeal um, and I think that that's why she's able to pull that off so well and that, you know, you have this person that goes into the cave, interacts with this alien substance and comes out and is just acting very strange. And especially like when she sneaks up on him at night, when he goes out to look for her and she's holding yeah. this knife and it's like, oh, shit, <laughs> she's going to try to kill him. Right. Um, yeah. Which the film does a really good build up with that. And I don't think I appreciated it as much originally because, again, some preconceived notions about the movie. It was dumped to streaming, little fanfare, was like kind of skeptical. I was like, if this is just about her getting possessed and then killing people in the woods, 
I'm going to be very annoyed because that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Gonna and like, it, I'm going to hate Ned forever. If that. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that when you recommended it in the back of my mind, I was like, there has to be a twist to this. And thankfully, there was one that I found to be very, very yeah. rewarding. Um, but, you know, the buildup is so fantastic and the change in her personality that even still, when you get to that moment where she has this change of heart and she's like, oh, no, I want I've decided I made a mistake. I want you to propose to me again on the cliff and then, you know, have this passionate embrace and reenactment of it and then throws him off the fucking cliff, <laughs> which is so even though you're anticipating something happening, like it's such a shocking moment, especially the way that, you know, the camera sticks with him falling yeah. all the way from the cliff down. Not only does he not hit the water, but he falls on the rocks and you hear this sickening thud and splat and it's. Like I watched it with my roommates and it was one of those like, what the fuck <laughs> moments that uh, it made for a fun watch because even if we were anticipating something that comes out of like nowhere and the way in which they stick with it, I thought uh, really allowed that moment to breathe in a way that was uh, refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I I like what you say, right? Um, it, it goes to this point. She's like... Um, she's basically asked like let's go back to that place right let's um <laughs> let's uh yeah yeah you know ask me again right and you know and uh indicative of her answer kind of being different right uh and you're like oh my god so you're you're on the lookout you think something's gonna happen and that was the last thing i thought was going to happen and the way they linger on his body and uh you know make sure that we see that he falls and he hits so there's no like uh ambiguity that that guy's dead. <laughs> you know, like that that's what they want us to feel, right? So um, you know, and then um when later on when she meets the other hikers, right? I was just like, oh my god, like what's gonna happen to these people now? You know, she's gonna like do something to them <laughs> as well. So I was just like anticipating all these things. And when you do find out like what's actually happening, it's really shocking. I don't know. Like I was like, oh my god, like wow, yeah. Yeah, I think that that was one of those moments where I got joy out of, and I also rewatched it with one of my roommates. I got joy out of watching people's reactions to that moment just as much <laughs> as I did being surprised in that moment. Cause it does have that, you know, the definitive moment where you're like, well, he has to be dead because it shows him there. And there's none of that sort of gray area of, oh, did he hit the rocks or did he go under the water? Right. That yeah. type of old standby. And, I had this second wind of being like, oh man, is this going to like evolve into something else? Especially when that couple shows yeah. up and she's continuing to act strange, even though the thread is dead and she picks up that knife. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be so annoyed if this is just a string of her killing random campers that show up throughout the woods because some creature has possessed her, which kind of would make it turn into like species yeah. or something. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that gets us to that big reveal, which you know, I really, really like, and I think that that's a really fantastic reveal and it speaks to Jake Lacey and just the sinister, but darkly comedic nature of his character and how that evolves, right? Because as you think that she is about to kill this couple, Harry just comes matter of factly strolling through the woods and he's like, Ruth, what the fuck? <laughs> like, as if they just got separated, like he went right and she yeah. went left. But that makes for such an explosive you know, genuine, genuinely, what the fuck moment, what is going on? And then you start to piece together, oh, okay, not only does this have that big twist that we were waiting for, but it's delivering it in a way that adds a new facet to the film, which I am 
kind of 50-50 on, but I want to know what you thought of that kind of initial reveal. Um, I That he is the alien. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to make it clear <laughs> to the listeners <laughs> that he, is the, he was the alien. He was the one possessed. Um, I think in that moment, I was shocked. Uh, I was like, what? And then um, I kind of, okay, he's, he's the, he was the alien. And then I was trying to think back to, you know, how he, he was behaving um, when, you know, they were together, right? And uh, it was so... Um, it was so pitch perfect that I, I didn't notice anything because I was so focused on her, right? So I didn't notice anything weird about him, you know? Um, so I think uh, one of the one of the things that I thought, I, I wish that they had kind of decided on instead was um, if she had kind of noticed something, I guess, on her own violation because she sees the thing in the cave and that's how she knows that it's not him anymore. Right. Uh, you know, so um, yeah, so I kind of wish that maybe, you know, I guess there was more of an indication that it wasn't him, but I guess it's also difficult because like what the alien does is that it creates a perfect replica, right? Like it becomes the basically the person, right? It inhabits everything about that person, like their memories, their past, their personality, right? So it takes on everything, right? So I guess it's a bit um difficult to discern uh but okay so but when i went back to watch it again i think what gave it a a really like sad um emotion was the fact that i realized that she never got to have that conversation with him where they kind of like reconcile if you realize that the last time she saw him was when he wrote that note and he says you know i'm just going off for a walk and he when when he returns he's he's already dead so they never have that that resolution. They never have that uh, reconciliation moment, you know. So she actually talks to the the alien. So that made me feel like really sad because, like, he died in this moment of like, you know, like um, despair, right? Um, that you know, um, she rejected him. Uh, you know, the the yeah. So I don't know. It just it just made me feel um said <laughs> upon rewatch you know um yeah i i, I mean i'm right right uh, the, that that's the last time right that they actually like see each other yeah and i even think that i'm trying to remember now you know the timeline yeah. of events where you know does i think they have that heart to heart at the campfire after he's already been yes. killed yeah. where basically like he touches her leg and then like retracts his hand and he's like sorry sorry and she's like you're allowed to touch me like I still love you. Like I wouldn't be out here if I didn't yeah. love you. And they have that really nice heart to heart, but you realize that it's a one-sided conversation because she's talking to the yeah. clone. Um, and I liked how they held back on that flashback, right? In the moment, they don't reveal that. And that is kind of like the one plot device type of way they handle that. But I thought it was a smart use of the flashback and that it allows for that buildup of that red herring of, oh, she's possessed and then you find out, no, Harry is the one who's been possessed and now has uh, these regenerative abilities. But also, he kind of has the same ability as like Patrick, uh, uh, not Patrick Stewart, <laughs> goodness gracious, from Terminator 2. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Blanking yeah. on his name. The T-1000 where he has these blades that come out of his fingers and he basically just splits people in half yeah. with them or deer for uh, that matter. But yeah, you know, I think that they do a good job too of concealing the fact on a first watch that he is not the one that is 
possessed because, you know, he is somebody that is dealing with the trauma of being romantically rejected, which, you know, not all of us have to have been uh, had a marriage proposal rejected or turned down. But I think at some point in people's lives, they have more than likely asked somebody out or something along those lines. And the other party has not reciprocated (laughs) the same way. And, you know, that again, we're talking uh, different scales of emotions and things like that. But in that moment, it kind of feels like the end of the world. But in this, I mean, with the stakes as high as marriage, it's the type of thing that it's like, you kind of write off the fact that he behaves strangely after that point. uh, Because you're like, well, you know, of course, he would be behaving strange. He just had the love of his life tell him like, I'm not interested in marrying you, which, as he uh, even says, I think like, that was never even something I could have foreseen being a possibility, which you know, yeah. <laughs> pokes a few holes in some of the logic uh, maybe of their relationship a little bit that he couldn't foresee any scenario. But I think at the same time further, it excuses why you know, you're know you not latching on to some of the oddities of what he is doing or saying, because again, you're dealing with somebody that's grappling with that rejection, but also the fact that you know there's a pretty heavy indication that she is the one that's possessed, um, even if that doesn't end up being were the case. There, were there oddities? Like, I, I, I couldn't see anything weird about him. <laughs> I just was thought there? it was mostly like just little awkwardness, but also there's one moment that I picked up on in the rewatch where he doesn't remember where he proposed to her. Oh, like when she basically talks about wanting to run the proposal again, he starts to get down on one knee in the middle of the woods. And she's like, no, 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 where you proposed to me? She like has to remind him. Um, I don't know if that's because the creature was like in the early stages of, I guess, accessing his memories or this or that, because later on in the film, um, he says, basically, I like, I have all of his memories. I have all of his feelings. So earlier when he forgets where he proposed, I thought that was kind of like the early, I don't know, gestation period for the creature. (laughs) Um, But like that was a pretty big red flag to me, the fact that he doesn't remember where he proposed to her, but also just some of the little awkwardness uh, interactions between the two of them. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, like what you said, right? I thought the awkwardness was because his proposal was rejected. So I guess, I guess uh, it was, yeah, I thought it was really like subtle. Um, and I guess that's why the twist uh, kind of like caught me off guard. Um, I think the weak part of it is really, I think, the the creature and the premise of why it's there. Like, I think the sci-fi aspect of it is a bit, mm, I don't know, it's not, uh, I mean, it's it's quite typical, right? It's like, oh, I'm this, you know, I'm this alien, <laughs> I'm this scout, you know, and I'm here to like kind of size up the planet and whatnot, right? It's like, Signs, I guess. I don't know, like one of those like typical kind of alien and invasion um type of um narratives, right? And I, I feel like I don't know. I mean, I guess uh it felt weird, like um the fact that he was giving so much information at that point, right? So it felt like okay, so it because I think we we were moving towards a different sh- uh, the shift, right? Basically, where the the sci-fi elements were coming in, right? And then we had this like alien entity. So now the 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 film had to kind of pivot into like basically her dealing with this creature, right? So now you know initially it was just um something stalking us, you know what is it, right? You know, and there's all this tension, and then now it's pivoting to you know the, the second part of it, which is her against this creature right who you know um could kill her very very easily you know so um yeah i mean 
Yeah, so I, I think it, it became a bit uh, explaining, I guess, in that part where he was like laying it all out. Um, yeah, so I think if I had to say where it was a bit weak, I think it would be this in, in this, um, I guess, the basis of the creature and, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think there's also a tonal shift in the second half yeah. of the film, which maybe is uh, the filmmakers digging into, you know, the duo that directed this and wrote this also did the, tw- I think it's 2019 film also with uh, with uh, Micah uh, called Villains that had Skarsgård oh. in it, which also was like darkly comedic. And I found that the second half of this movie leans into that kind of humor more. Um, and that was an element that I don't think I was as taken with, while at the same time, it didn't completely, you know, detract from my enjoyment of it. Just thinking about, you know, Harry and having this, you know, realization that he loves Ruth, right? And that alien kind of experiencing that for the first time does kind of add this darkly comedic bit to it, especially when, you know, he kills the other campers that come to try to rescue Ruth. And then, you know, he's about to kill her himself. And then he has this like three or four instances where he's just like, come on, you have to do it, like trying to psych himself up and has a realization he can't kill her because he loves her um, or it loves her. And that part I could have done without. I thought that Jake Lacey initially did a great job of coming out of the woods and just being like super sinister, but also being playful like a predator would be with their prey. Um, I liked that more than this sort of like identity crisis that the alien has where it's kind of like, oh man, like I want to, I have to kill this person. This is my assignment, but now I'm conflicted between my assignment and this earthling that I want to make my space wife or whatever. Um, That aspect I could have done without, I think Um, just because it kind of, I don't know the darkly comedic shift. I thought the entire film needs that needs to be prevalent rather than kind of like springing that in the second half of the film. Cause then the film itself, you know, again, talking about the framework of the movie, you know, you mentioned the sort of sci-fi element of the movie with, you know, he's a scout and more friends are on the way type of thing was like not really explored, pretty boilerplate. And uh, I don't know that it did itself any favors with this, you know, alien having a an identity crisis or an emotional crisis. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the the concept is interesting, but I, I felt like, why didn't the alien have this kind of crisis when they were kind of going through all that hiking uh, moments, you know? Like, why did it kind of do that with her? Like, you know, was it just going to, you know, finish the hike with her and then go back to, uh, you know, and basically like take over, I guess, in wherever Jake is in his job and then do something there. Like, I felt like it needed a little bit more of a, explanation as to why he didn't dispose of her immediately like there, there was none of that right initially right it's only at this point uh you know that um he tries to kill her right so is it because she knows that he's an alien and that's why i gotta kill her you know and before that i i he had like no <laughs> sense of doing that like you know it was a bit bizarre right because i feel like that would be the first thing i would do as an alien <laughs> like i would just kill this right. human yeah. Which, I don't know, it makes me a heartless alien, I guess. But I guess that's, I don't know, like, why, I mean, if that's my mission, right, if I'm a scout or whatever, I don't, this person is like, instead of wandering in the woods <laughs> with her, like, you know, so, yeah, so that kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, I guess if we could have maybe had some flashbacks where it, it was more apparent or something like that, you know, that kind of showed us, showed him contemplating it 
or something, right? Or, you know, or maybe as part of his assignment, he's supposed to like infiltrate someone's life or something, you know, then um, I think that would have been a little bit more interesting. I think also, you know, there's ways in which you can use dark humor in a film that don't draw it doesn't doesn't draw as much attention to the actual examples of it until you think about it later you go back and rewatch it there's like two lines that stood out to me that i found to be not only ironic but like deeply comedic um was early on when you're trying to kind of trying to decipher which one of them is uh, possessed uh, i think it is ruth who says like someday you're going to change too um when she's oh, talking about the nature yes, of their relationship yes, yeah. and it's like oh fucking beautiful placement to that. But also, you know, when Jake reveals himself to the campers, he's walking towards the guy and the guy's like, don't come any closer. And he's like, hey, it's okay. I come in peace. Like little moments like that, I really loved. Um, and I wish that we had just stuck with that persona where, you know, he is almost in on the joke of the fact that, you know, he is this hostile alien that's able to blend in and nobody's able to detect him, you know, until he uh, he flicks them in half. Um, but I guess in that regard, you know, we talked about the way in which sci-fi is used and it being kind of a loose framework. How did you feel, though, about, you know, the kills and the effects that went into uh, Jake and the alien? Um, I thought it was OK. Like, um, <laughs> like you say, I mean, it reminded me of uh, Terminator. Uh, yeah. And I guess even the alien spaceship thingy uh, wasn't really like, you know, I mean, you could tell that they were working with a particular budget and they were constrained in these, these kind of ways in the scale to which they could explore this whole idea of this alien. You know, because I think generally when you introduce like this kind of sci-fi aspect, you have to kind of go a little bit bigger to like, um, you know, to really kind of um, do it justice. So um, I don't know, maybe they, I felt like if, you know, there were these kind of constraints. I think that could have been another way that would have been, I think, much better that uh, this could have been dealt with. Like maybe it would have just been interesting if uh, they kind of just went back home. <laughs> and then, you know, then that's when we kind of figure out, um, you know, certain things. Um, but I do like the idea of um, what the film was trying to say about the idea of love, right? And I think what she was so worried about right and what she didn't you know that she didn't really have faith in right like i mean seeing her parents marriage kind of fall apart right kind of made her skeptical about about love right and even though you know she does love harry she's skeptical about that love persisting you know over time right and this idea that you know you know over time maybe we won't love each other in the same way right and i think uh it's kind of beautiful in a way that um we can kind of see that you know even though he's gone right uh his love for her is the thing that saves her you know and it's the thing that kind of um saves her life right and i think um you know it there is a power to love right and i think that the alien kind of underestimated it right um you know he just took this goofy guy right you know who's easy prey for him right and this guy became his downfall you know over something as simple as love so i i'm i mean i'm a bit of a <laughs> I'm a bit of a romantic, so <laughs> I kind of like that 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 idea, um, you know. And I think that um, when she asks, you, like, she does this whole thing of let's go back to the, you know, to the spot and um, recreate the proposal and all and all that. I do think that you know some part of her is thinking back on it now and 
kind of wishing she said yes or you know because she would never get any of those moments with him again and I don't know I was just really like sad I think I was just really sad when I found out that he was possessed <laughs> because it meant that he was dead right and it was so heartbreaking um because you had grown to like his character throughout the film you know and um to see that happen was really sad <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah I mean you grow to like him and then you get to see him have that potential second chance at the proposal, it didn't work the first yeah. time, right? And so it's just like having the rug pulled out from under you and it's like, oh shit, she killed him. But then at the same time, the realization later on, like, oh no, he's been dead for 20 minutes or something yeah. like that. Um, I will say though, I think that the fit, the directors and writers made a smart decision to go with putting the focus on you know the characters, their relationship, love being the foundation. Because again, this is a very small film. It's mainly led by two yeah. people. Uh, I think there's like five or six people total in the entire thing. And they knew the framework with the, the sci-fi sandbox that they were going to play within or the, you know, the boundaries of that. And I thought they did a good job of staying, you know, within those confines. And in terms of like the effects, I thought the effects that they used, which are not, you know, there's not an abundance of them in the film. But at the same time, I thought that they were effective in, you know, portraying this creature as not only this vicious killer that, you know, f- keeps flicking people's heads in half, but also, you know, there was that moment where uh, he uses the tentacle to control Ruth, but also uses the tentacle at one point to like reanimate a dead body to lure the other camper out. Like little moments like that, that are pretty fleeting. They still did the job though of, you know, reminding people that, oh, this is like a genre horror film that has those moments in it, but those aren't the main focus of the film because the film itself really is not designed to be able to sustain that those types of moments, yeah. right? Because, you know, whether it's budgetary constraints or direction and whatnot, um, I thought that it did a good job of not overshadowing the true focus of the film, which again is those characters and their love and how seamlessly it feels that you're able to really interweave this narrative into those characters dealing with this very, you know, real world situation that up until a certain point, uh, hopefully is uh, <laughs> something that's very grounded for a lot of people uh, in just kind of like experiencing yeah. that. Also, I thought the part where he rips the shark's head off was pretty cool, but <laughs> I'd say that about any movie. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, when they had established him as indestructible, right, I was trying to figure out mm-hmm. like how she was going to kill him, you know, like how, right. um, you know, how would it end, right? Would it really end with her demise? Would she kind of be forced mm-hmm. to live with this alien as a way to kind of self-preserve, right. you know? So I was like, I mean, it did keep me still invested. Like, I agree with you that I felt that it got a bit too uh, jokey after the revelation, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of made it, like the the whole atmosphere and what they had did early on did kind of... Um, that it was lost a little bit, right, uh, after the revelation. Uh, but I was still interested to kind of find out how it would wrap things up. You know, how would this creature, you know, which is basically indestructible, be destroyed, you know? So I was interested to kind of see mm. how she would um, grapple with it. And I think, like, the whole shark thing was a great fake out. <laughs> like, you know, you think, oh, my God, it, yeah. <laughs> she's figured it out, right? And then the next moment, you're like, oh, God, <laughs> yeah, you're foiled, completely foiled. So I think um, I think that's what the film did really well. Like, it, it 
it knows like basically the tropes, right? Um, you know, that uh, we expect and it kind of defies us at every point, right? So, you know, we have this point where this woman goes into a cave, she sees some weird goo, she screams, we are like, oh my God, she's acting weird, she's possessed, right? It's got to be that. And then the next woman, she's like, oh, she's not possessed, right? Uh, you know, and actually it's just the dude that's possessed. And then when, you know, we go um, to the shark and in the ocean and we think, okay, it's her moment, right? Because, you know, early on, they talked about how surfing is, you know, is something she's done her entire life, right? The ocean is what she knows. You know, this is her territory. She's going to take him down here and then, oh no <laughs> that's not what's happened so I think that they kind of had fun doing that um, just kind of defying our expectations at every turn you know um, and I think that's what made it quite a ride like I enjoyed um, you know I think sitting through it and watching it for the first time would be like it's the most enjoyable thing yeah yeah I, I just want to talk about the ending real quick before we yeah. wrap up because you have that moment where you know she basically gets knocked out and kidnapped and cocooned by the alien, right? And what does the alien do? The alien shows that it clearly did its research and re watched uh, Alex Garland's Annihilation <laughs> before, you know, coming down to Earth, which that scene in and of itself is very clearly, you know, a remake of the ending to that yeah. film where you have the alien that then assumes the identity of the last remaining protagonist of yeah. the film. Um, but again, like, if it had just ended at that, right, of consuming her or taking on her appearance and killing her or them having some kind of duel or whatever, I wouldn't have been a fan of that. But again, talking about the filmmakers knowing how to, you know, come full circle with the true strength of the film. And that is, you know, highlighting the human experiences and the different facets of that. And, you know, I thought it was really clever the way in which she's able to defeat the alien is that the alien, you know, assumes her identity, assumes, you know, all of her memories but also, you know, consumes the baggage that she has that she still hasn't really grappled with. Um, and, you know, essentially the alien has a panic attack and then she caves its head in with a skull and what is, you know, cathartic and uh, a very grotesque moment of uh, effects and whatnot. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I, I almost felt like that kind of underplayed or maybe did a disservice to her character because at the end of the day, her character knows there's no way to kill it. Um, and I guess maybe that's her finding some semblance of acceptance in that, like, you know, trying to defeat her own baggage by bashing in an identical clone of herself. But at the end of the day, like, what's going to happen? Of course, it's going to resurrect. And then you get to see that final shot of, you know, all of the uh, all the aliens friends coming down to Earth in the similar fashion that it did at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think it's like what you said. Uh, it's, I mean, I think the metaphor, uh, you know, the, the symbolism is quite on its nose, right? Like, I mean, she literally bashes her, her demons, her baggage, right? She takes it on. Um, but I think what uh, I think uh, caught my attention in that, in that last scene, right, is that I think what the aliens uh, kind of underestimate is the the power of human frailty and the power of, um, I, think, I think, being human, humanity, right? Um, the alien was kind of foiled by this guy's emotions and feelings for this woman, right? And could not bring itself to kill her, you know, and I, I think basically get on with whatever it's supposed to do, right? Like, I mean, it's clearly supposed to be doing something and then it's kind of caught in this, um, you know, um, chase and pursuit of this woman, right? Um, so it kind of underestimated that aspect, right? Um, but also I think, uh, you know, 
basically her brokenness and her her frailty is what is able to I think spare her in that moment. She's able to kind of um you know get away. Uh, I mean we don't know if she survives. Um, you know, but I mean I. I think at this point, if a bunch of aliens are coming down, I guess no one's going to survive, I guess. So it's, um, you know, yeah. But I think the way the film kind of looks at um, human frailty, human brokenness, and, you know, it, the idea is that, weirdly enough, these things actually are, like, you know, they have a, like a purpose, there's meaning to them, there are, and these things, the very things that uh, this alien entity kind of underestimates are the things that, you know, bring detrimental effects to it, right? Uh, you know, and I think, you know, I, and I think for her throughout the film, right, she she always, I think, kind of grappled with that that brokenness and this idea that, you know, because of what she's experienced, she can never kind of seize happiness in the way that, um, you know, uh, she she might want to right you know um where where there is like light and happiness she only sees like darkness and shadows right you know even even though the relationship with Harry is good right the things are are good between them they have spent so much time and years together all she can see is the darkness and the shadows right and the the failing and the falling apart and the fact that you know you won't love me forever right so you know and I think that um yeah I don't know I think in 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 grappling with that moment, I think she's able to kind of, uh, yeah, you know, identify that, yeah, the brokenness is always going to be within me, right? But um, it doesn't have to define me in a way, right? And I can kind of, you know, um, and I, yeah, and I, I think she she works. Um, I mean, she doesn't need, she doesn't need the, the drugs at the end, right? She's able to kind of deal with the panic attack on her own, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think in part this, hiking trip has been quite a life-changing experience for her right oh my god yeah. yeah and by any and by you know that final shot of the film i think her life is going to get insanely more complicated with the impending uh invasion but yeah you know i think that what you said definitely rings true for me as well right this idea that they not only are doing a character justice but it's nice to see them do you know this female-led character justice in you know rising above not just the fact that she's defeating this alien, but having a an inner success or an inner victory, if you will, with some of those things that have been, you know, plaguing her for all these years. It's a shame her, you know, boyfriend has to get murdered and has to deal with aliens and whatnot to do that. But I think that it is um, it's something that strengthens her character and really does solidify, you know, the importance of her arc. Um, and it's why also, you know, when you have that twist halfway through where it's like, oh no, she's not the one possessed. It's nice to see them, you know, empower that female lead rather than just kind of like being this generic like, oh, well, you know, she didn't want to get married. So she killed him and she's going to kill anybody else that tries to reveal it type of thing, which, you know, granted, I should have I should have assumed there was a little more to it than just that kind of boilerplate uh, boilerplate uh, nature of the film from afar. But I think that, yeah, this was one that uh, unfortunately was the result of, you know, a streaming service not really knowing what they had uh, when they released this. But, you know, hopefully conversations such as this, obviously your review and others like it um, that are singing the film's praises will hopefully get the word out uh, about Significant Other. Because, yeah, it's definitely a film that I found to uh, be a genre standout. Uh, and I was really happy to have the chance to talk about it in some depth yeah. with you today. I mean, I, but I, just a last point, I think that the alien invasion would not work. 
<laughs> like they didn't think it through, right? Because yeah. I think he didn't. He was not able to get them the information that basically it's a bad idea, right? Because <laughs> when we when we embody these people, we just take on all their their traits, right? I don't know. <laughs> it's they're they're gonna come and then just um yeah be surprised with uh you know how um ineffective I guess the in- invasion might be. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, seeing seeing how we deal with uh, conflicts on Earth, I'm I'm not as optimistic about how we're going to handle a uh, an an alien threat that's able to consume our identities or assume yeah. our identities. But uh, <laughs> it is the type of thing, though, that it is a well-rounded enough ending. You know, I think yeah. that again, it plays, uh, it does. I think you know, service both the character-driven nature of it, but then also you know, giving people that kind of. Uh, that genre stinger at the end, like just because you've had this small victory, a much larger battle is on its way, which uh, I think I think works for the type of movie this yeah. is. Yeah, but I can't wait to see like what um what else these actors are gonna do. Like I'm excited to see where their careers go from here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Michael Monroe is somebody that has definitely made a name for herself in yeah. horror, right? You know, it follows uh, just this year, of course, significant other, but also Watcher. Yeah which was another movie that I thought was, uh, I think I liked more than most people, even if maybe I liked Significant Other more so than uh, Watcher. But yeah, she's definitely an actress that, even if it's not horror, uh, she's an actress that I definitely, you know, would be more willing to watch some random movie on streaming if, you know, I knew that she was involved. And uh, yeah, I think Significant Other stands as another example of just her uh, ability to, you know, tackle genre films, but to bring a little more to them, you know, than just being sort of like, a damsel in distress, if yeah. you will. Yeah, agreed. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you let the people know where they can follow you for uh, all your fantastic work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at LitMySoul. And if you want to read my stuff, it's on culturedvouchers.com. We do film, so you can read my significant other <laughs> review uh, Yeah, and tons of other stuff. And we do things like games, TV, books, wrestling, yeah, so it's a it's a fun time. So uh, have a read, and I will be sure to uh, link your review to significant other in the episode description, so everybody can you know read a little more, bit more in depth uh, to some of your thoughts on it. But yeah, thanks again, and I look forward to you know hopefully having you back for a fourth time in the new year. <laughs> yes, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at Not Funny Jay. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.